Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is Tuesday, uh, August 9th, 2011, and this is episode 78. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and always as usual, joining me from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Uh, how are you doing, Paul? Well, let me tell you, Kevin. Let mm. me tell you. Pull up a Uh-oh. chair. Uh-oh. This has been one of those weeks. How, how can I put it? One of those weeks that you have that makes you appreciate good times, mm. uh, because it it's it's one of those things where it's such a bad time, you 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 have a meter by which to judge the good times. Um, I won't get into too much details, but my iPad died. Some of you, if you follow my tweets, my iPad died on on Saturday. In fact, going to watch one of the movies we're going to be talking about. Uh, so that yeah, that happened. I was very unhappy about that. Uh, had to wait until Monday to get that sorted out, and now I have to wait like a week for them to replace it. I have no idea if I'm going to get a replacement of exactly what I got, or some people said they might give me an iPad too. I don't know. Um, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, this, but, this super, yeah, the super good Apple service that <clears throat> you hear about in America, I don't think that happens in. Did not uh, happen. Uh, and even though we are no. getting an Apple Store this mm-hmm. month on uh, the 25th, I believe. Some people said I should have just waited. Uh, I did have the Apple Care protection, so I didn't really have to do anything. I, I called Apple on Monday, and the service rep was very nice. He said, "Okay, these are the places you can go," and and he just said, "Did you, you know, did it get wet or did you drop it?" And I said, "No, none of those things happened." He said, "That's fine. Um, so here you can choose to go to one of these places. You won't have to pay anything, and they'll take it from there." So. Okay. They, they did take it, and I got a little piece of paper, and they're supposed to contact me in four to six working days. Um, so I'll mow that no more then, but I'm going through eye withdrawals right now. I keep reaching for a device that isn't there. I keep wanting to swipe things that I cannot swipe, and all I have is to keep me company is my little iPhone 3G, which is as slow as a snail and doesn't like to work well. All right, well, I guess you're getting an iPhone 5 as well after you get your free iPad. Well, let me tell you, uh, I've not been real happy with some of the decisions Apple's been making with regard to, like, the new OS and things. Um, I had plans to get a new new computer. I was going to get an iMac. I've put those on hold Mm. uh, because of the new OS is not working well. Uh, Fellow podcasters I know... Using some of the same software I'm using, say that the new OS, the new OS X Lion, does not the the software we use does not work on that. So they said, do not upgrade to that on your current computer, and if you get a new computer, you're going to be hosed. So uh, I've put that on hold, and I don't know if you heard about it, but um, there's this issue where like Amazon and some uh, some other companies that have apps on Apple, mm. Apple's made them remove some functionality from their apps. 
So for example, if you use a Kindle, uh, if you use the Kindle app, you used to be able to go right, press a button and take you right into the Kindle store to find a book right. you want. You can no longer do that. Um, well, all you can do, use it is to open the books you have. So it's kind of, a, it's, they're, they're kind of ticking me off. Um, so I've actually been considering maybe getting another and maybe getting an Android phone. I've oh my been, God. You said the A word. Yeah. I've been hearing some good things about them, but, um, I yeah. don't know. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still very much, I, I love Apple and I love the, the design and the good functionality, but they're just making some decisions that as a, as a normal user, I'm, I'm, I'm going, uh, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, uh, like a bully. Um, yeah, I think that whole uh, the whole exclusive <clears throat> um, or limited whatever the closed thing, the integrated thing, it's starting to get to their heads. Yeah. I mean, I know that I know getting... that they want to make money. I understand yeah. that, and they want to focus on things that that make money. But when they start doing it at the expense of customer convenience, because they simply want to highlight their own things. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that. The fact that they've got their own iBook store is fine, but it doesn't compare to the selection on Amazon. It just doesn't yet. Yeah. Um, so I want to be able to use both, and I want to use both equally well. Yeah, you think they will learn a few things from the way a Sony and the proprietary soft software and how it didn't turn out well for them, but, well, I yeah. guess not. Um, so there's that. And then I've got a whole issue going on with my landlord. My landlord has become a big jerk, and we've, we've got to move basically. Mm. Um, and so this has kind of come up rather suddenly. I won't get into the details, but we were just kind of getting settled settled in, and, and now now we've got to go. Um, we can write out the lease, but I've, I've come to the conclusion that we're not going to go through another term with this, with this person because um, uh, it's not working out well. Uh. All, all the landlords I've ever had before have been great. This one, uh, not so good. So, uh, well, it would, it would turn out for the best, yeah. I'm sure. But that's all neither here nor there. We are not here to talk about that kind of stuff. We are here to talk about what? Movies. About yes, we're here to talk about movies. This is the show where we talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Um, but before we get, in, get into that other stuff, uh, what are we looking at this week, Kevin? Uh, this week we'll be looking at, for each screen, we're looking at Warring States, the Chinese period film. Uh, having with a very big Pan-Asia cast. Uh, for West Green, we'll be looking at uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, and the Smurfs. All right. So all that coming up in just a moment after this. All right. So normally we do news in this segment, but this week I decided we're not going to do news because basically the world's gone to pot and... Everybody's looking at the U.S. and particularly the U.S. Congress. And all I can think about is a very famous scene from a somewhat famous movie that some of you might have seen. The movie's called Network. And I just thought, I'm going to play this scene because it still resonates today. Um, it's a little bit lengthy, so if you've seen it, you can fast forward through it. Um, but if not, I'd strongly recommend going out and finding a copy and watching it. This is the Arthur Jensen rant from the movie Network. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. 
You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? You get up on your little 21-inch screen and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and ITT and AT&T and DuPont, Dow, Union Carbide and Exxon. Those are the nations of the world today. What do you think the Russians talk about in their councils of state? Karl Marx? They get out their linear programming charts, statistical decision theories, min and max solutions, and compute the price cost probabilities of their transactions and investments, just like we do. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies, Mr. Beale. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. And our children will live, Mr. Beale, to see that perfect world which there's no war or famine, oppression or brutality. One vast and ecumenical holding company for whom all men will work to serve a common profit in which all men will hold a share of stock. All necessities provided, all anxieties tranquil. All boredom amused. And I have chosen you, Mr. Beale, to preach this evangel. Why me? Because you're on television, dummy. Sixty million people watch you every night of the week, Monday through Friday. I have seen the face of God. 
You just might be right, Mr. Beale. So that is from the 19, I want to say 1976 film Network, the classic uh, rant by the character Arthur Jensen, um, <clears throat> played masterfully in a very small cameo role by Ned Beatty. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't seen the film, uh, I'd strongly recommend It's very, very much a reflection of a lot of what's going on today. Um, I mean, what else, what else can we say? I mean, we, we could talk about movies, but I, I woke up yesterday and I, my, my eyes are fixated on the Hang Sang crashing. Um, and this ultimately being related to um, uh, what's going on in the U.S. and U.S. politics. I don't want to get it too much too much into that, but I'm I'm kind of irked because I lost a bunch of money <laughs> from my oh, retirement no. account. Uh, so I can't retire now. Dang it. Um, so yeah, there's that. I, I'd strongly again. Uh, it's network. It's a great movie. Uh, go out and watch it. Kevin's talking about movies though. Let's let's move on from politics. Um, you're watching movies now. You're a very busy man. What are you watching? Well, I'm watching movies all the time, uh, although I am as angry as you are about what's going on in the U.S. Yeah, but see, you're uh, still a young baby. You can, yeah. you can still make back your, 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 uh, your, your MPF, your Mandatory Provident Fund, or as some people in the West wouldn't call it, the, the 401k, mm-hmm. um, right? But I, I'm, I'm getting up there in years, and, and my uh, earnings power is, is severely limited, but... Um, there, there, there's that. Yeah, there's always a podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. We're just gonna <laughs> yes. those dollars are gonna roll in. Yeah, is, is that just... uh, is that Kenneth I see in the chat room? Yeah, he knows <laughs> how much money we make as yeah. podcasters. Uh, he, he's living the the high life over there in Europe, I think. Yeah, that's how you can afford to 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 live in Europe, I think. Yeah. But anyway, um, movie wise, um, the t- tonight, uh, the summer edition of the Hong Kong International Film Festival began with the. I'm not sure if it's an Asian premiere or not actually a premiere in Taiwan. So it's just the opening film, uh, You Are the Apple of My Eye, by very popular Taiwanese author Giddens. Um, I was surrounded by a lot of girls because apparently Giddens is a very popular writer, especially girls. And the film, the film opens, I think, this weekend in Taiwan, and I think it's going to be a huge hit. It's another one of those um, coming-of-age stories, but... Very good teen romance in there. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, even though I, I still think uh, the Taiwanese version of Winds of September is better. Uh, I think there's a lot of there's a, a lot of good humor in it, and the romance was surprisingly poignant. Um, and I hope that it will do well outside of Taiwan. But right now, uh, right now everyone is saying the buzz is that it's going to be a huge hit in Taiwan, and I hope. Uh, it opens in Hong Kong in November, so uh, when you catch up on in November, uh, we can talk about this film further. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, w- so what else is kind of laid out that you're excited about for this festival? Ah, Tomorrow night, I'm watching Takeshi Miike's, uh Ninja Kids, which is based on a very popular uh, children's anime series. Uh, I think this weekend, on Friday night, I'm going to catch Kim Ki-duk's uh, very controversial uh, mockumentary. Uh, Ariane. Um, what else I'm looking forward to? Um, Yuya Ishii, uh, uh, independent Japanese director who is now married to the star of Love Exposure. So all you, all you jealous geeks <clears throat> uh, will now know who he is. His latest film, it will be showing, I think, on the 20-something Japanese comedy Cannonball Wetlock, which Ross has already reviewed for Love HK Film. Um, also, The Whistleblower, starring Rachel Weisz. Uh, I think I'm catching that sometime in the next week or so uh so you know 
it's a little bit light the selection this summer, but um, there's a lot of good popular stuff that's out there that I think uh, will do well to pop with the more commercial film goers. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds sounds good. There's a lot of stuff I want to see. I just don't have the time. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just wish I could get out get out more. I'm actually going to uh, see our friend Jim Chim uh, of uh, Microsex Office and and other classics like uh, what was the Wong Jing one he did. Uh, 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 um, this year, men suddenly in love. Right. Yeah, I thought he, I keep thinking beauty on duty for some reason. He's um he's doing a I guess it's a it's a extended session of his stage show that's been going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, called Woman a la Tiger, which is a sort of a retake on his very famous Man a la Tiger that he did a couple years ago. So I'll be seeing that tomorrow night. Uh, kind of excited because he's really good on stage, as I've said. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, what else? What else is new in the world of Kevin, though? Is uh, anything else going on that you want to talk about? I mean, we'll we'll get to regular news next week, folks. I promise. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I'm starting to watch. Uh, well, my new project is to write the catalog for this year's Fresh Wave Festival. If you don't know what Fresh Wave is, it's a um, short film competition here in Hong Kong. Uh, half of it is for students of local universities, and the other half is open to all all people, even though most of those <clears throat> productions are actually, you know, the university students who couldn't represent their own university. So I'm starting to watch those films, and actually, I haven't had a chance to say this, and I'm not sure if I should, but, uh, so I won't get into too much details, because I'm just watching the rough cuts of these things, and this year's selection is quite strong, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, the I've only watched about five so far, and a lot more, there's a lot more topical things going. It seems like the, the young, you know, they say that we're apathetic. My generation is apathetic or politically ap- apathetic. But you see from these films that they're not. They actually are quite caught up on current issues and they are very interested in in pursuing it. Um, even, you know, from, from your regular normal political stuff to, you know, social issues, there's the, 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 the topic is quite wide this year. And, and um, for these local student films, I, I'm quite enjoying them, surprisingly. So it's not going to be very hard for me to to be promoting these films because these films are worth promoting. So uh, I think the festival is going to be in September uh, or October. If you're in Hong Kong at the time, these films will be showing openly, uh, I think at the Broadway Cinematheque. And uh, I highly recommend you guys check them out because this, this year's selection is quite strong. All right. Um, and on just a quick note of cultural interest for those people interested in Hong Kong, the Miss Hong Kong pageant was this past Sunday. Did you get a chance to watch any of it, Kevin? No, I went to watch uh, Captain America. So, mm-hmm. yes, I have betrayed one route for another, it would appear. <laughs> yeah, so we now have a new Miss Hong Kong, and it'll be interesting to see um, of the sort of top three who came out, if any of them go on to become uh, actresses of note, because that sometimes does happen here in Hong Kong. Sire Ma, I think, is one of the more successful examples from recent years. Yeah. All right. uh, But we'll have regular news next week. For now, let's move on to talk about our movies. All right. We've got one East screen film to talk about this week, and that is the period piece called The Warring States. Um, now, Kevin, do you want to cover this, or do you want me to? Because I think you had a little bit of a, of a, what would you call it, a nap? Uh, um, um, I, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? I took a temporary rest. A coma, maybe? 
it, it was a temporary reprieve, I believe I would call it, uh, okay. from from sitting through this movie. Uh, so, a shore leave, they might call it in the military. Yes, or, uh, a shore leave, but without the sex and drugs. I'm sorry. <laughs> so please, Paul, if you if you don't mind, uh, please take take. Uh, All right. Talk so about that. Um, the Warring States. This is a period piece, um, basically telling the story of a real historical character named Sunbeam who uh, lived during the, the Warring States periods. And more specifically, he was kind of stuck in the middle. That, that period of time takes place between around 475 BCE um, up until 221 BCE, which ends with the foundation of the uh, Qin Dynasty the, the, with the first emperor. So uh, if you know a little bit about Chinese history or you've seen um, any of the, there, there are a couple documentaries you can t find, um, that are pretty decent about sort of the first emperor of China. This is the period, um, several hundred years before that actually takes place. And so Sun Bean was a character who lived in the middle of this period. And he's a very, very famous for being a military strategist. Um, and as this film follows this character, it jumps around a little bit in time, but it basically tells his story sort of coming down from the mountain where he lived as and studied as a hermit under under his master who was also a very famous military strategist and so when he comes down from the mountain he is sought after by two warring states um, who are very antagonistic to each other one of those being the state of Qi and the other being the state of Wei um, and I think it, as it as it starts out he sort of through happenstance um, meets a meets a general who's fighting a battle against the state of Wei, uh, or no, the state of Qi. He's a general for the state of Wei, and he's fighting against, against the state of Qi. But he's losing, and he's vastly outnumbered. Outnumbered. So he convinces uh, the tactician um, Sun Bin, who's played by Sun Hong Lei, to help him win this battle. Uh, and and he, thereupon he does so, and he's taken back to. Uh, the kingdom of, of Wei, where he meets uh, his sort of long-lost brother, uh, played by Francis Ng. Now, it's not his real brother, because they've got different surnames. His, his character name is Pang, uh, Pang Chuan, who, but they both st spent time on the mountain studying under the same uh, master. However, it's rumored that Sun Bin is actually a better tactician than... Um, and so there's a little bit of rivalry um, that starts off sort of as brotherly camaraderie, but you can tell that Pang Juan is quite jealous of the Sunbeam character. And so he ends up actually keeping him prisoner, um, trying to get him to write down the strategies that, uh, that he has learned. Because, you know, anybody who can have these in written form can, can utilize them. But right now, they're sort of just locked in his brain. And he, Sunbeam is a bit of a peculiar character. Um, he's portrayed here as a little bit like an idiot savant in that he has no interest in military affairs, but he's very interested in strategy and in winning. Um, but he doesn't really have very good social skills. He's kind of like a child um, in many ways. And so despite, you know, the, the, the attempts by Francism's character to get him to share his secrets he doesn't and ultimately francis becomes fed up and tortures him and uh removes his kneecaps to sort of hobble him and prevent him from escaping and this is all based on some of the the real history if you go look up this character apparently 
Um, one thing that doesn't happen in the film is that his face is tattooed as well. Um, but that's not one of the things they did in the film. But they do cut off his kneecaps and hobble him. Um, and over time, he starts to become uh, more and more disheveled and, and a bit like a, a sort of a crazy uh, street person. But you're never really sure, is it an act? Or has he really become demented? Has he really gone insane? Um, thrown into this mix is, and you'll have to help me, Kevin, because I can't remember the character's name, uh, a, a woman, uh, a female general from the state of Chi, who mm -hmm. he initially defeats. Um, do you remember what that character's name was? Um, but if you give me about 20 seconds, I can find that okay. name out Well, right now. anyway, Sunbeam is very... Uh, from uh, at first glance, he's very taken with this this uh, woman, even though he ends up defeating her initially, and that is something which she comes to resent him for. Um, but the state of Chi and, and um, both her father and the king, the prince or the prince of Chi, want uh, of course Sunbeam to come and, and work for them, work for their side. Um, and if you're familiar also with some of the history, at one point there is a horse race. Actually, it's a chariot race, uh, and Sunbeam uh, tells the the prince how um, their side can win. And this is sort of the classic: um, you've each side has um, a good horse, an average horse, and a weak horse that have to race against each other. And so Sunbeam comes up with the strategy to put the weak horse for the first race against the enemy's strongest horse. And then in the second race, and they'll lose that race, so it's a forfeiture. But in the second race, they put um, the the good horse against the average horse, and then the average horse against the weak horse, and so they win two out of three. Um, you've probably heard that in in different in some different aspect before, uh, told as a parable or not. But that he's the one who's said to have come up with this uh, this sort of sacrificial strategy for winning. Um, and so. You've got this, you know, this budding romance that kind of carries on throughout where um, the character Sunbeam wants to um, hook up with this female general, and she really isn't that interested at first, but over time, you know, the relationship sort of develops, and ultimately, she, ultimately once he is taken captive by Francis Ng's character, Peng Chuan, he, she wants to help save him. There's also a third character who's played by a fourth character who's played by I want to say Kim Hee Son, a Korean actress who plays Pang Fei, who's the sister of Francis Sim's character Pang Chuan, and but she has an affinity for Sun Bean for some reason, which I could never it was never really clear to me <laughs> um, why she she seemed to like Sun Bean better. I don't know if it was romantically linked because she kind of referred to him as a brother um, in, in in some cases. So that was never really clear. I might have missed something. Um, but it's a tragic... It ends up being sort of a a romance tragedy, tragedy as, as it builds into the ending, which doesn't make sense because that's not the real history. If you read up on the character um, and how he died and how he lived his life, um, there there is a classic battle that the film builds to, which is a real battle according to the histories. Um, but the way that that plays out is kind of portrayed here but then they take a lot of creative liberties um beyond that and i won't say too much more because i don't want to spoil it uh but did, did you find the character's name by chance kevin oh yes it's tenshi i think yeah tenshi. okay tenshi and yes. so she um she she they she has this relationship with him 
Um, and then Francis, mm, I was kind of surprised. I didn't expect him to be good in a period piece because he's always playing sort of these modern gangsters, these modern bad guys. Occasionally he's got a couple films where he's playing like a romantic comedy lead, which he's pretty good at. Um, um, I, I want to think of a Bakery Amour with um, Michelle Reyes is uh, one that comes to mind that was pretty decent. I never expected to like him here, but I thought he was good for the most part for what he was doing. Um, the problem is, is that this film is trying to be Redcliffe and it has nowhere near the budget that it needs. So you've got some really cruddy looking battle scenes. You've got some not so great cinematography for some of the battle scenes. Um, the, the close-up stuff is okay, and there's some there's some martial arts action going on in a couple scenes that's okay, you know, reminiscent of a sort of a romance of the Three Kingdoms kind of game, video game or something. But the, the long sweeping shots of the battle scenes look like they were taken right off of PlayStation 2. <laughs> so um, they just didn't have the budget to go for what they were going for, which is a shame because actually the first half of the movie I thought was very entertaining as it's sort of revealing who these characters are um, and, and you're getting to know Sunbeam and his, his quirks and his weird personality, and you're trying to figure out more about him. And even though it's, it's very contrived, I thought his relationship, um, with, with Tianfei was fine. Uh, again, didn't play out the way I thought it should have played out, but that's just because I know a bit more about the history. If you're going into this as somebody who knows nothing about the history, um, what can I say? It's got the, I wouldn't say it's the greatest death scene ever. It's the <laughs> weirdest death scene ever. Um, I think yeah. I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Um, so for, for me, I'd have to say TV it. Um, in fact, you, I think you can find it online for free, right? I mean, half of the people we usually watch movies with decided to stay home and watch it online. <laughs> uh, so Kevin, w what was your take on it? Okay. Um, well, for your information, the film is available online for free uh, legally. Uh, on some Chinese uh, now Chinese that one won't sites. have English English subs, right? It'll just I think have... this one doesn't have English subs. They're really spotty when it comes to uh, yeah. English subs. For example, the latest the new horror movie with Kelly Lin and Tony Leung Kafai has English subs, but you know others won't. It's a very spotty, you know, hit or miss kind of thing. Uh, and in then case of movies like uh, Mysterious Island, when you don't even need any subs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, that one hasn't hit online yet, but I'm looking, I'm looking forward to watching it there because it looks it's supposed to be that cheap. But anyway, um, okay, a little background of Warring States. Uh, this is all hearsay and rumor. I'm not sure how true it is, but if uh, very the very famous Chinese blogger slash race car driver Han Han wrote about it, I assume it's at least partially true. The idea is that um, the star, Tan Shi, uh, who is played by Jin Tang, a new young actress, um, is signed under uh, uh, her company, uh, a certain uh, agency, a production company, and apparently her her boyfriend is the CEO uh, of that company. And essentially, what he did for her is that he took 150 million yuan and hired a lot of great actors, which is why I got this great cast, and to give her this movie. Um, this is uh, so. This if you watch it is a little. Is it, it kind of makes more sense when you watch it because uh, this Tenshi is suddenly. I'm not sure. Is Tenshi a real character, Paul? I mean, are you familiar with the history? I, 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 I don't know. I I'm not familiar with her. She she may have been a general, but the things that I've read never said anything about like uh, him having a relationship with 
anybody in you know the 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 chin uh camp at all right um, but then again a lot of the histories are kind of spotty during mm-hmm. this time period because there's not a lot of official records for many things or the ones that they have are are somewhat li- limited or incomplete um so yeah yeah because if if the producers created this character just for her yeah. it, it makes even more sense and then it, of way. course i mean the character of sun bean himself um and, and this is referenced in the film is he's he's written a work uh, a work um, called uh, Sunbeam's uh, Art of War. Now, mm-hmm. most people in the West are going to be f- familiar with Sun Tzu's Art of War. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be like Sunbeam's teacher's teacher. Right, right. If I understand the history correctly. I think it's his teacher. I think it's his direct teacher or something like that, yeah. I don't think it's his direct teacher. Um, oh. I think it's his, it was his teacher's teacher. But and it, it's all a little bit convoluted because then some people said when they found his writing, uh, they found copies of it with copies of Sun Tzu's Art of War, and they're not sure. Some people speculate that Sunbeam was Sun Tzu, um, or that Sun Tzu's Art of War actually was coming from writings of Sunbeam, it's a, or vice versa. So it's it's kind of really messed up. But it's such an ancient period of time, you know. Mm. Historians have difficult times piecing together true facts. So mm-hmm. okay, well, I I guess that's kind of makes this an example of. You know the problem with China is that they make these big budget blockbusters, but they forget that certain things you need context to make it work. I mean, I didn't know anything about this 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 period of history, um, and going into it, I'm it just kind of didn't feel accessible to me, um, especially you know with the way that it carries you know this big general female general character and you know Jing Tan taking over this movie with the weird hair, and uh, I had no idea what kind of tone it really wanted to strike. Because you have everyone playing it straight, including Jin Tang and, and Francis Ng and, and uh, Kim Hee Sung and Japanese actor Kichi Nakai playing, I think, the Prince of Chi or the King of Chi. Best nation. man ever. Best man ever. <laughs> Best man ever. Best gesturing ever. Um, and you know, everyone's playing it straight, but soon you got Su Hong Lei with his weird hair and doing the, the full, uh, the, the, the village full thing. And it kind of felt like he was trying to be, you know, Su Hong Lei as Johnny Depp. <laughs> and this is very strange kind of want to be comedic angle on it i have no idea what it's trying to do um but the word is that su hong lei uh most said this publicly that he only gave his performance here 20 of 100 uh which pissed off the producers quite a bit especially because he was paid very handsomely for this film so um it you know it's a very interesting situation it's a very weird situation you know, it's, it's funny because he i th- when we came out i said he was being over the top and i compared it with a little bit his role in seven swordsman Mm-hmm. And you know, I just kind of felt that um, I liked him better here. You know, mm. I felt that what he was doing it it was it was quirky and interesting. I, you know, who knows if that's the way their character really was? I mean, of course, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, honestly, I don't think so. And actually, I, you know, Song Lei was playing the villain in Seven Swords, so you could understand him doing the over the top thing. And at least he wasn't playing a fool he didn't he wasn't being a fool he was just being over the top villainy and in a way in a, in a Troy Hart kind of way it works yeah I think um but but then here is this he's the he's the star of the movie but he's the one that's he is the comic relief of his own movie it's very strange uh and and, and I have no idea what he's trying to do here and it just kind of 
you get you kind of get used to it, but it's a little uncomfortable to watch the beginning because you have no idea what he's trying to do here. Um, but you know, Su Hong Lee is a likable actor. He can be a very likable actor when he is, and he I think he's in a way likable here in some ways. Um, like I said earlier, the film has a very big budget, but it was all spent on stars. So you have like is that things see battle scenes that look like came out of you know Dynasty Warriors, but the PS2 version is not even the PS3 version, <laughs> um, and then really really off editing, um, really over really obvious special effects. I think they also went Korea with this one, the special effects. And of course, one of the one of the other big problems is is the the female um, romance interest uh, Tian Tian Jing is that her name? Uh yeah yeah and, she yeah. she looks beautiful. In like every shot, she'll get done every kill, shot, killing yeah. like twenty guys, and they'll do this close up, and she's got perfect makeup on and perfect hair, and and so it's it's one of those kinds where it's there there's a certain aspect of gaze here that's going on that's beyond the realm of realism when it comes to what's being depicted on the screen. So yeah, um, she's almost unrealistically beautiful because then it goes back to the whole um, the whole movie. <laughs> movie for the girlfriend thing because uh, uh, everybody, every male, main male character, and I'm talking about Francis Ng, Su Hong Lei, and even best man ever, Prince of Chi, they are in love with Jin Tang. Everyone's in love with Jin Tang. Everyone's in love with this this princess, this general. general, And yeah, it's, and then, you know, the whole thing where she's dancing, it's almost like she is obviously, she's not the main character of the film, but she looks almost unrealistically pretty. I mean, Kim Hong, Kim, Kim Hee Sung, I can understand why, because she's just um, a princess and she's stuck in the palace and everything. And she's supposed to look really pretty. But yeah, this this tough, tough general doesn't get down and dirty. It's just another world that was out of place thing that kind of takes you out of, the, out of the film. It makes you think about the things that happening outside the film. Um, the story, I think it's fine. I think the story has some good points. Um, some of the strategy are, are quite interesting. Even though I didn't like the Ben-Hur the Ben Hur thing. I was literally, I was literally leaning over and go, "This is Ben Hur." Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was just waiting for the shot where this guy's getting dragged down the track, and it looked, it, it, it will probably look even faker than the way it did in Ben Hur, and that was like in the 1930s, crying out loud. And it was very weird the way they used the whole Ben Hur thing, and you know, all the cart crashing into each other. Um, the direction and the writing is kind of poor. It's not even bad. It's just some parts are really choppy. The editing is really choppy. The direction is very weird. Um, some shots don't cut quite right. Uh, the pacing is really uneven. Um, but with you know the, the acting isn't bad considering you know how much these people got paid. They, of course, they have to turn into performances. Um, I think Su Hong Lei, you know, even though he has his quirks, I feel like he was a he was a victim of bad direction more than his own acting. I think he is a good actor, and I think he just delivered what the director wanted here. Francis Ng is good. He's playing it straight, and he's you know he plays the tortured tortured internally tortured character very well uh it's kind of like if you think about his character in in 2000 ad but make him a bad guy but in in a in a period film that's what you kind of get he's always like internally conflicted uh, i think it's good here um kim he song kind of the Voss character she has her own moments kitchen guy like we're saying the best man ever with like the best gesture he's just playing a really nice guy even though Knowing that he's a chi, the emperor of chi, you know, knowing that what he would do, because I saw Hero, and I assume Hero is totally, totally accurate to history. Um, and then we get to Jin Tang. Jin Tang isn't a bad actress. I would have to give her that. Um, no, she, she, I thought she was fine in the role. She was I mean, fine in the role. Uh, I think 
it's a little too much for her to bear. You know, such a big star and such a big budget film. It's almost too much for her to bear, but I think she carries herself well. The problem is that I think the scandal surrounding the film and the criticism around it and how badly it's flopped in China. Uh, so all these bad publicity, publicity is going to be very bad for her in the future. She is filming under, another film right now, another tearjerker where she plays. Uh, it's a fairly high-profile film because it's a remake of a very popular tearjerker. So I think it's a very, another pretty prolific role. Um, and maybe she will finally not have to shoulder such a big-budget film as a low-key tearjerker. So it will be interesting to see how she does there. Uh, but I think in the long run, if the if the outfall from the fall from the film uh, continues on by next year, um, especially at the end of the year when everyone is looking back at this year's Chinese film market, and this will be one of the kind of the low points because it flops so bad, and the way that the producers are trying to uh, cover it by actually blaming the bad word of mouth on saboteurs on the internet. So you have these really bad publicity happening for the film, and I think it's going to be bad for Jin Hang uh, in the long run. Um, honestly, I think I wish that the film was worse. I wish that it was really badly directed. I wish it was really ridiculously hilarious so that I could enjoy it. But right now, it's just at two hours long, it drags a little bit. Um, it's not really that engaging of a film, even though it has its good points. It, it didn't really work for me. I, I know that you said the, the first half was fun for you. Yeah, uh, actually, I think it, I think it, it was okay. As it started to get into the second hour, I think they spent a bit too much time on. I know it's a it's a major thing, and it's one of the things he's known for for playing pretending to be insane to escape. But I think they spent a little bit too much time on that. Yeah, I think the second half kind of moved along a little more, even though I mean in terms of, in terms of storytelling, even though there's that really um, there's a really bad Deus Ex Machina that happens in the middle of the second half. I think you know what you're talking about, Paul. The the one when he um when the crippled Sunbin is trying to attempt a certain something and then a Deus Ex Machina happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think that scene is just really ridiculous. It almost felt like, hey, so they saw Aftershock too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they saw Aftershock. Um it doesn't affect it doesn't affect the story, so so don't worry about it. Um so in the end, you know, it's the Warring States really that terrible of a film to be really named really one of the worst of the year when the, when the end of the year comes around. Maybe not. Um, not it's by a long shot. <laughs> no, um, it is a very, publicity-wise, it's a very embarrassing project, especially knowing how it turned out and what how the producers reacted to certain things after the, the release. Um, but is it a really, really bad movie? I wouldn't say so. It's not a good movie at all. So in the end, I'll just say TV it, but don't pay attention to it. Just kind of distract yourself, you know, do other things while you're at it. I think you'll be fine. You, you'll pay attention when it's good, and then you just ignore when it's bad. Yeah, and, and for sure, don't use it as cliff notes for your Chinese history exam. Because <laughs> you will be wrong. Um, Matt, Matt uh, Seidel in the chat room said, is this like the warring states of Michigan and Ohio? I don't know. I'd, I'd say it's more like uh, the warring state of Florida State University and University of Miami. Or maybe the Florida Gators. I don't know. <laughs> Stanford and Berkeley for Californians. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that's enough of the Warring States. Why don't we move on? East Green, West Green. 
So, we've got a couple West Screen films to talk about this week. Up first, another comic book movie. Um, ah! Kind of makes me wonder when and if the comic book movie genre is going to pedal uh, out. But the one we're talking about, of course, is Captain America, The First Avenger, uh, directed by Joe Johnson. And this is the story of the um, nationalistic hero, Captain America. Um, now, I never read Captain America as a comic book. I, I kind of was turned off by the nationalism, basically. Um, I've, I've never really liked nationalism in any form where you know, we poke fun at things like uh, founding of a republic and, and things like that, the nationalism we see in, in Chinese movies today. I equally don't like it when it's in, it's in American films or when it's centered in, America, in, in American characters. Um, so I kind of always avoided Captain America uh, in, in the comic books. I preferred Spider-Man. I preferred X-Men. I preferred some of the really off-off comics like Man-Thing, which is actually kind of sort of related to Captain America in, in, with his origin, um, tying into some of the origins of the Captain America character. Man-Thing? I thought that's like a... Is that like a Man Show spinoff kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I miss the Man Show. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, no man thing was, is, um, uh, a, a, a monster hero. He's kind of like a swamp man. Uh, and in the DC universe, you've got swamp thing. So, uh, that's sort of the, the DC parallel, but I think man thing came first, but anyway, I digress cause we're talking about Captain America. Um, so the film is directed by Joe Johnson, who's worked on quite a few films. Uh, he's in, in different areas. Um, he's done a lot of visual effects for some films, uh, some famous films like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, um, worked as art director, was director for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jurassic Park 3, more recently, uh, The Wolfman, which I don't know if you saw that, I didn't really like it. Um, but he brings us now with Captain America, the first Avenger, and I think he did a really, really good job. Um, this tells the story of Steve Rogers, uh, who starts off as a, as a young kid, um, during World War II, who wants to enlist, but he's got a lot of physical problems. Um, he's physically not up to shape. He's got some medical issues, and the Army just won't, doesn't want him, despite his eager attitude. Um, but when he's found, you know, he, he's discovered by a doctor who's working on a new program, uh, who sees the drive that this young boy has. He sponsors him to get into the military to go through basic training, and he's ultimately selected for a new super soldier program that ultimately turns him through the super soldier serum into uh, the beefy Captain America. Um, however, he's initially rejected by the military. They, they kind of look, look down on him uh, despite his physical abilities, and they basically put him out there as sort of a, what would you call it, propaganda piece. He goes around doing stage shows, recruiting, trying to generate war funds for people to buy war bonds for the war effort, um, and he he never really gets a chance to, you know, sh show show him his true colors. That is, until he finds out that a childhood friend of his, um, named Bucky, ends up uh, getting captured, and he decides to go solo and try and rescue him. So. That sort of sets up the basis. It's an origin story. I, I tend to not like origin stories, and I like this one. Uh, I thought maybe because it's it's a period piece, it's in some ways comparable to X-Men First Class because it's dealing with a, 
a real historical period here. I think they handle the history aspect of it well. The art direction, the cinematography looks great. And they really sort of poke fun at uh, the comic book and some of the nationalist aspects. Uh, there's a whole musical sort of song and dance number. But it is still nationalism, and it started to get a little bit too much for me. I mean, even though it's it's kind of poking fun at nationalism. Um, throughout all of this, though, you have the main villain, known as the Red Skull, who, if anybody's read Captain America, he's sort of like the classic arch-rival of Captain America, who sets up an organization that's under Hitler. It's sort of an offshoot of the Nazi party, or, 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 the, or the Nazis, called Hydra. And so Hydra sets up this concept of the the, the army of soldiers that are faceless, right? Um, that is, the, the soldiers who tend to wear, like, these uh, jackboots and masks, but you never see their faces. It's and, like an army of a uh, Bane from Batman and Robin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they're, they're these faceless soldiers. And I always loved this concept, and, and it was so prevalent during early comics, you know, to, to have these these sort of faceless... They're, they're, they're like automatons or robots. But I, I love movies that make fun of that, that, like where you get to know these guys. You get to know, like, the standard stormtrooper who you never really see, and he's like this average Joe. It's like, I want to know more about these Hydra guys. Why do they join Hydra? You know, why do they follow a guy who's got a face like a skull? Do they have a really good dental plan? <laughs> I mean, w what are the perks here? Um, they get to carry laser guns at some point, so I guess that's a bonus, right? But um, I always found that concept fascinating and even more fascinating when people start to to poke fun at it. Um, but this is an action film. I think the action is, is fairly well shot. Chris Evans does a good job. Um, I actually liked him more here than I did in the Fast Fantastic Four films. It would be interesting to see if those two universes ever collide on cinema. You know, will he have a chance to meet himself? Uh, there's a really good parody on, that I saw on Google Plus, too, where there's a, there's a, um, a poster of his character as Lucas Lee, who you'll remember from Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And it's Lucas Lee playing Captain America. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's just a funny uh, sort of mashup poster. You can, you can do a search for it if you, if you've seen it. Um, there are some good comic references here. There's a, there's a supporting character called Dum Dum Duggan, not really named in the film, but you'll recognize him instantly, uh, by his bowler hat. Um, I can't remember who was the actor who played him. Um, Neil, Neil Mc, McDonough is the mm -hmm. actor that played him. Uh, he's a classic character from the comics, uh, especially if you're somebody who reads like Nick Fury or any of the comics centering around S.H.I.E.L.D. because he is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's kind of weird that they put him in this um, in this back time period because he, and the, the comics I read, he was always a modern day S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Um, but it was sort of interesting to see him here. You got Tommy Lee Jones, who's great as always even though he's kind of just being Tommy Lee Jones. Um, very polished, but very predictable. You know what this is building to. In fact, it kind of starts off revealing the ending. Um, I'd say it's more fun than Thor for me, um, but other people I've, I've listened to have seen the film said not so much. Um, but it's, it's a definite see it. Uh, I saw it in 3D because I went to the morning show and it was half price. Uh, but the 3D, there, there was nothing in 3D. For me, in this film, you don't need to see it in 3D. It's not a 3D film um, that demands 3D, but um, it's definitely one of the summer films to see. Kevin, 
Yes, Are sir. you a fan of the Captain? I have never, like you, I've never read the comic books. I actually don't really read much comic book, but I do follow the Marvel movies. Um, <clears throat> and I think this is the best Marvel movie since Iron Man. It's simple. Um, it's the most fun. It's the most entertaining. And I love the fact that finally Marvel is throwing you a underdog hero. I know Spider-Man was also one, but it's not part of, part of the world they're leading up to. So uh, I love the look of it. The 30s, 40s, uh, the 40s, right? yeah, 40s. The 40s look is very different from the other Marvel films, and I really like um, what they do of it here. Um, and 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 it's very classic. Uh, Joe Johnston did the Rocketeer, so you and and also uh, I think he was also hired because of October Sky. These are both kind of 40s, 50s films. Yeah, I forgot uh, about and, the Rocketeer. That was great. Yeah. Uh, so so he has experience in this kind of uh, look, or this kind of period. Uh, it is slick and it was a lot of fun. It is very lightweight though. Um, the the <clears throat> certain villains get dispatched really easily. They go away really easily. It's a little lightweight. The action is okay, but it felt very rushed at points. You feel like they're rushing because they took too long to, with the origin story in the first act. So I wish that part was a little shorter and you have a little more Captain America doing Captain America. Um, I can never really recognize Chris Evans from Row to Row, but I really liked him here. Uh, I think he's a little more mature than Tobey Maguire as the underdog hero, and him in the 90-pound short, short look was really likable great then, and then he's good. Because of that, he, he's, he's quite likable in his usual buff Captain America look as well. So he's a really likable hero. I really like him. Uh, I still like Robert Downey Jr. Actor, actor-wise, I still like Robert Downey Jr. the best because he's just so charismatic. Uh, speaking of which, I really, I also really like the fact that Howard Stark is, has a major role here, a major supporting role here, and he kind of has that, that vibe, and he's a great character. Uh, Good cast all around. You have a lot of... It's almost like you're checking off the list of respected actors that has to be... It's got like the American version of the Harry Potter actors list. You know, you're checking <laughs> off respectable American actors. Uh, except... Oh, actually, Anthony Hopkins is American. He's, he has citizenship. So you have Anthony Hopkins doing Thor. Then you have Tom Lee Jones playing Tom Lee Jones here. Uh, Toby Jones, who uh, I think played Truman Capote in one of the two movies. Also here, you have Hugo Weaving as Red Skull. Now, <clears throat> uh, when when Hugo Weaving appeared on screen, all the people behind me they kept whispering "Matrix, Matrix, Matrix" because that's the only thing they they recognize him from. So it was almost really amusing that Hugo Weaving was kind of doing a little bit of Adrian Smith in his speeches. Um, like I said, it's a little rushed. Um, I wish the or I I, I like the origin story part. So it kind of makes sense for this movie to be a little longer. I know they're afraid of the the two hour plus length, but I think. Because you have such a big story, and it's supposed to be the last big Marvel movie before before the Avengers, so I think it's okay to go a little longer. I think an extra ten twenty minutes would have been fine. It wasn't. It didn't feel slow. It didn't drag anyway. It felt kind of short anyway. So I think it was okay to be a little longer. But anyway, that it got me really pumped up for the Avengers. Um, even though both I think me and Ross we agree that we wish there was a sequel that took place in the. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I feel the same way, and I've talked to other people who feel that. You know, it's because this film is just sort of a straight pipeline to the Avengers, um, it seems like it would be very... I mean, they could do it, but it would not be easy to write it, 
Ter- they really kind of wrote themselves into a shortcut when they had yeah. to say Ginger the Avengers. I, I guess we sh- we shouldn't. We of course we we shouldn't spoil how they do it, but I think they really wrote themselves into shortcuts and straight too much segue into the Avengers. Uh, but I am very pumped for it. Um, I have a feeling already that Captain America is going to be my favorite character in that movie, even though I love Iron Man, I love Robert Downey Jr., but Captain America is a good old-fashioned American superhero. And, you know, the nationalism part, it has to be part of it, I guess, because of the origin of his character, but the the American part isn't really the what makes him a hero. It's what it's his, it's his um, personality. It's his courage. It's uh, And they're not particularly American things. And the film doesn't emphasize on the America part either. They emphasize that he is uh, just a very good man. Hmm. Um, so, And that's what I like about it. So it wasn't really ugly. It wasn't really as nationalistic I thought it would be or as nationalistic, more nationalistic than I expected it to be. You know, it's a World War II film. So it is what it is, that part of it. So I say, you know, see it. It's not the best Marvel movie. There's still flaws, but I really had fun of it and I think it's better than Thor I think even it's even better than Iron Man 2 which I liked so yeah definitely go okay. see it uh, and of course you need you do need to stay to the end yes although the end isn't isn't anything new I'll say um, mm. if you've paid attention to things coming out of Comic Con and whatnot, um, yeah it's you've basically seen what's at the end already um <clears throat> But uh, yeah, kind of got me excited, but it kind of makes me worried a little bit because for the Avengers to take on everybody, you know, who it's going to be a little bit of who gets the most screen time, who gets the best lines. Um, I, I'm a bit worried about it, to be honest. And and again, we don't. You, I think you were the one that told me there's no Hulk movie coming, so we're mm. going to get Hulk from a very brand new perspective with a new actor um you know and i and i guess a new cg team that's not going to be related to the ones who did even though it's part of the series from a narrative standpoint who did the last hulk movie right so that's going to be sort of an unknown element going in too yeah but the thing is it's joss whedon and joss whedon loves this genre and he has proven again and again that he's very good you know, as a filmmaker and a writer, Serenity, Firefly, um, I never saw Buffy, but I just have a lot of uh, confidence you know, I, in his work. I know that everybody loves Joss Whedon, and, and, and he can do no wrong. And don't yeah. get me wrong, I mean, I, 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 I love Firefly. Uh, I was glad that Serenity was made. Never really got into Buffy or Angel or any of that stuff. I watched the first season of Dollhouse. Um but his track record for TV is not that great. I mean, mm. I, I know he's got a huge fan base, but his stuff, for whatever reason, the networks kill it. Um, so I don't know if it if it's just not making the money, not making the bucks. But when you look at other stuff, like you know that J.J. Abrams does, he seems to be able to keep stuff on the air longer. I think uh, Joss Whedon isn't as he's a very good. Um, how do I say? He's a very good creative guy. He's a very good uh, writer. He's a very good director. But he's not as good a salesman as yeah. J.J. Abrams. I mean, don't get me wrong. Please don't send yeah. me hate mail. I, I like Joss Whedon. And I like the work he's done. Um, I just, the the fervor that goes into the Josh Whedon love 
um, I find a bit mystifying sometimes. It's definitely very kind of niche. You know, once you're in love with, once you're in with Joss Whedon, you're forever in. Yeah. But it's not as big. He's not big. Uh, um, and like like I said, he's not as good a salesman as as J.J. Uh, Abrams is. J.J. Abrams knows how to set up something. And he knows how to sell what he's doing and knows how to uh, attract attention. But Joss Whedon's just very solid in general. I don't think he does new things, but I just think he does what he does very well. Hmm. Yeah. All right. That's fair. All right. Let's move on to our last movie of the week. And uh, let me play this. So that should give you a clue as to what our final film is for this week. And that is the film Smurfs 3D. I guess that's the official title of it. Um, Smurfs 3D is directed by uh, Raja Gosnell. Um, but primarily, I would say that this is somewhat heavily influenced by the original creator of the Smurfs, Peyo. Um, the, the film itself, I think, is very true to the idea of the Smurfs as I knew them <clears throat> growing up watching the cartoon. Now, I never read the comics, uh, although I think they're out there and there are translations available. So I know the Smurfs primarily from the, the cartoons that were, um, you know, on Saturday morning TV and then later in syndication. Um, so, yeah, what can you say? They're back. They're in 3D. Uh, the film was quite entertaining. I was really surprised because what I had seen from the trailers, I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Um, so I went in with kind of low expectations and the expectations were, you know, considerably raised uh, by the time I came out of the theater. It, it really stays true to the original concepts. In fact, there's some reference to some of the lore that comes out of the uh, cartoons, such as the, like the creation of Smurfette. And the, the Smurfs themselves, if you've watched the cartoons, you'll recognize many of the characters. Um, there are a couple new ones here. There's a ton of different voice actors. I'll talk a little bit about the voice acting in a minute. But let me tell you a little bit about what the plot is. So the plot is the Smurfs are getting ready for a festival known as the Blue Moon Festival. And um, it, during the preparations, Papa Smurf has a vision of something terrible happening and Gargamel getting really powerful. And so there's there, there's basically some accidents that happen and that this is all related to the, the character of Clumsy Smurf. Um, Clumsy Smurf accidentally ends up leading Gargamel back to the village 
and uh, he starts to try and capture the Smurfs. Why is Gargamel after the Smurfs? Well, because he feels that Smurf essence can make him a more powerful wizard. Um, eventually, though, what happens is they, they, um, f five of the Smurfs are sucked through this portal that opens during the Blue Moon Festival, and Gargamel follows with them with his evil cat, Azriel. Um, and where do they end up? Well, where does everybody always end up? New York. Hmm. Um, so if it sounds a little bit like the film, what was it, uh, Enchanted? Eh, kind of, sort of. I think they're borrowing a little bit of a plot hook there, but um, that that's pretty much where it, where it ends. Uh, the Smurfs end up with Doogie Howser, I mean, Neil Patrick Harris, and he's okay in the film. He, I mean, his character is basically working as a ad executive, and the Smurfs come into his life and kind of make chaos, just as you'd expect from a similar film like Alvin and the Chipmunks or anything. Uh, eventually, they learn to get along, him and... Uh, his wife, played by, uh, I think it's uh, Jama Mays, and they have to come to terms with, you know, that these little blue people exist, and what can they learn from them? And of course, Papa Smurf, Smurf's very wise, and um, so, you know, there's some morals here, there's some morality. Um, the thing about this film is that Hank Azaria, as Gargamel, steals the show. Now, I'm a bit biased because I love Hank Azaria. I love the stuff he's done for The Simpsons, I love stuff he's done elsewhere, um, I think he's right, and I think he nails the characterization of Gargamel, um, who is a live-action character taken from, you know, based on the animated character. And I think he, he's, he's really the one that stole the attention for me. The Smurfs are cute. The CGI looks good in some places. In other places, it doesn't work so well. In a couple scenes, there's some, like, hugging scenes where um, Neil Patrick Harris's character is hugging the Smurfs, and you or holding the Smurfs, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't as tight as it could be. Um, but I think if you've got kids, they're not going to mind. The, the, the theater was just constantly abrupt with children's laughter. We saw it as a morning show, so the kids were really enjoying it. My biggest problem was the voice work for the Smurfs. I felt the voice work was kind of hit or miss, depending on who was talking. You've got a lot of um, famous voices here. Uh, Jonathan Winters comes in as Papa Smurf. Which is okay, he wasn't the original voice for Papa Smurf, but he did do a voice for Grandpa Smurf uh, back in the cartoon series. Um, Katy Perry, the, the singer, comes in as Smurfette. I didn't really like her as Smurfette. Um, she didn't really give me a sense of, of the original Smurfette. Um, Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live comes on as Brainy, Brainy Smurf. I liked him. Um, Alan Cumming comes on as a gutsy Smurf with sort of a a Scottish accent, um, and Anton Yelchin is Clumsy Smurf, who's sort of the the central Smurf um, that that end, ends up causing problems, but also sort of helping things out by the end. He's the one who has to come to terms with learning a lesson, basically. Uh, George Lopez comes in as Grouchy Smurf. He was he was not grouchy in the original. His voice was kind of distracting for me. Uh, other notables: Jeff Foxworth, Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, Handy Smurf, Paul Rubens as Jokey Smurf, um, Wolfgang Puck as Chef Smurf. So a little bit of a, a bit of a joke there. And Frank Welker, who's a famous um, sort of voice actor for doing animal sounds and things like that, he does the the the, the um, voice or the sound of Azrael the cat, which was great. Uh, Tom Kane as the narr narrator with this really great narrator voice that I'm very jealous of. 
and envious of. Um, he he was good too, although I would have preferred maybe another narrator, uh, like Scott Fletcher or somebody, if, if you know voice work at all. Um, but overall, I, I liked it. Um, again, they were true to the material. They were they were true to the characters. Some problems with CGI and the voices, but overall, uh, I had fun. And again, Hank Azaria was great. Uh, Kevin? Okay. Um, I did not grow up with Smurfs. It's like every time we talk about something that's like uh, uh, for kids and it's like an old franchise, and I just keep saying, I don't know about this. I don't read this. I don't. It's like, what kind of childhood did you're, I have? You're still in your childhood. That's the problem. Yeah, I guess so. I'm like, what kind of childhood did I have? When are we going to review a, a, a Doraemon movie or something? Yeah. Or can we do like a, a Dragon Ball movie or something? I guess they don't make those. Okay, they make Doraemon movies, but never have it in Japan. They, they so. made a Dragon Ball movie, but I've tried to forget it. <laughs> not that one. Oh my god! Okay, um, ah, it was on. I was in my uncle's hotel room and it was on TV, and I watched it for five minutes. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's it. My, I, I got all the flashbacks back. I don't want to think about it anymore. Anyway, so I did not grow up with the Smurfs. You know who? You know who really liked the Smurfs? My ex girlfriend really liked the Smurfs. Uh. So yeah. Anyway, but that's okay. Um, they, they are cute. Um, and. I really like the opening of the film when they go into the Enchanted Forest and they're showing the Smurf Village and all these Smurfs are, are running around and it's really cute and I kind of wish that I did, they did an animated movie instead. I know they've done an animated movie before so I guess live action was the next logical step and they look good here. Um, we watched it in 3D. You watched it in 3D, right, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched it in 3D as well but at one point when I just took off the glasses because my eyes were so tired, when I took off the glasses, I could actually see more details. In yeah. the CGI it, Smurfs, yeah, it's one of those. It's one of these films that's cheating on the, on the 3D. And yeah, I, I've seen that more and more. So yeah, there, there's there's a few really obvious 3D shots, so you know it's kind of shot with 3D in mind. But it's just the whole idea that you know the dim projection, and we're not getting these so-called brighter prints. So um, 3D still sucks <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, and 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 you know CG wise, I think the CG team was very successful in making for bringing in the Smurfs. And you, I can't really deny them their success. Um, so there's one bright point. Well, I hate uh, to jump in, but, but sure. you mentioned 3D, and I think um, I think Matt made it maybe the one who had tweeted this uh, a while back. But there's actually glasses now that you can get that mm. turn the 3D into 2D. Yes, yes, you yeah. can. Um, if you if you have a social situation where you must, like a date, uh, when you where you must show up at a three D movie but you don't like three D, um, then you can buy these glasses and you can watch it in dim projection, but at least in two D. And I as I guess as I understand it, it's, it's specifically for those people who who have some vision problems and cannot see the three D well, or the three D gives them headaches, or they just don't like it. But what um, they just do is that you can do this. You can actually do this on your own. Um, all you have to do is. Have two pairs of 3D glasses. Um, so keep that one, keep one untouched, and then you take the other pair, take out the left and right lens, uh, the lenses, and then you just put the right one over the left one and the left one over the right one, and that'll de- depolarize the mm-hmm. effect. So you can wear it and you watch watch it in 2D. But it's just where you want to do that thing where you take out the lens. I mean, that's just kind of dangerous. <laughs> I guess it's all plasticky, so it's really easy to break it. So we can do that. Um, but it's gonna look dim anyway. It's just I don't like the dim. My my big problem with 3D is the dim projection. You know, 3D things popping out isn't that bad, but it's just especially in the Smurfs when they do have some shots, 
design for 3D. You know, when when they throw up one of the Smurf and it comes at the screen, and you know, it looks fine. But it's just really dim projection and how it takes away from the projection, how it takes away from these this crisp digital projection that that really irks me. Um, like I said, the the opening is great. Uh, oh, actually. Uh, I got to refer to the chat for a second. I promised um, Kenneth of Podcast on Fire and Sleazy K uh, that this week in Sleaze that I will replace any expletive with with smurfing or smurf. <laughs> yeah. So this is what I'll, what I'll do. So this this movie had a smurfing great opening <laughs> um, in the in the enchanted smurfing forest. And, uh, and I, like I said, I wish that they just did a straightforward smurfs movie with just the smurfs uh, and Gargamel. Yeah, uh, but then they went to New York. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the the, the the cheap way of doing yeah. a fantasy is always to bring it to the modern day, right? Yeah, yeah, and then bringing a lot of celebrities there, like of the it moment celebrities, you know, like the guy from from Project Run Runway, or well, I guess Joan Rivers is forever. You know, it depends on what kind of surgery she gets next week. But well, yeah, that was like really Joan her. Rivers I thought that was CGI. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was. I was sure it was Joan Rivers Smurf. Actually, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and you know, the, the, this really cheap way of kind of scoring with modern audiences. Uh, you know, it's only a gimmick, and it doesn't really work for me. And the juvenile humor of toilet and them falling in food and they popping off coffee and cereal. Ha 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 ha. Um, it, I almost didn't laugh at all at this film. Uh, I know the kids love it. Um, the thing is, I. Like I wrote in my review for YP movies, I don't want to just outright dismiss the movie, you know, as lazy or as badly made or you know as uh, cash in, because you know that might that might be not be the same experience that people who like the Smurfs have. So if you really like the Smurfs, I think you'll get a big kick, a big nostalgia kick out of it. Um, the kids obviously liked it, but I have to point out that this movie was so shameless in. It's attempt to cash in on making cash from the fans that it couldn't even avoid putting in a product placement for Blu-ray discs. Well, yeah, was, I don't know if you it noticed. Was, it was yeah, it was blue everything. There was um, um, Blue Man Group. Yes, was, yes. Was, Actually, was, blue Man Group was fine. Was, was, was one, and then Blu-ray was the other. So it, they, they were trying blue to stick with the blue theme, which I was okay with that. The thing is, Blu-ray. I just thought of it as product placement, really bad product placement, because these things were everywhere. And if you can notice it, then it really pop out at you. Blu-ray discs is a Sony technology. So what else were they going to sell? But you know, Blu-ray disc. Um, it it kind of jumped out at me a little too much. So it, it just felt like such an obvious cash-in from Sony um, that it kind of offended me a little bit. That's what it was trying to do. And I think fans deserve a better movie than this. They deserve better way of, of working up the nostalgia. I mean, kids will be kids. I mean, they have things they enjoy, and they always enjoy little films like this. Like this. And if I was six, I would have laughed. But it's just that I think fans really deserve better a better movie, a better Smurfs movie than this. Mm. So um, obviously, if you have Smurfs nostalgia, or if you have kids, you're going to see it anyway. So take that. Um, otherwise, just skip it. Or if you're really, really, really uh, interested, then I guess you can TV it in 2D, mind you, because no one should have to buy one of those fancy schmancy 3D TV for this one. Yeah. Or you can just reverse your glasses. Yeah. Yeah. And Smurf that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smurfity, Smurfity, Smurf, Smurf. Yeah, so, well, I'd say I'd say if you if you like the Smurfs or if you have kids, see it. Um, or if you're just interested in family entertainment kind of films, you can TV it. Um, so there's that. 
I, it makes me wonder, though, what's the next thing? I mean, we're getting all these sort of live-action-slash-CGI cartoon rehashes like Alvin and the Chipmunks and this. Um, what What's next? Maybe Hong Kong Fooey? <laughs> That'd be great. Number one super guy. Um, it, the, the whole idea of this is so terrifying that I can't even think of, <laughs> think of one. Uh, I, uh, by the way, I do have a little smurf. Here on my desk, this is uh, Smurf uh, sitting on a on a on a, um, what what do you think we call those things that float in the water and you're sitting on them? Lifesaver, yeah, sitting on a lifesaver, sipping on a drink, uh, typing, checking his stocks, and I think this <laughs> this little figure is very more inspired. Is that is that and, Wall Street crash Smurf? I guess so. This Wall Street Wall Street slash vacationing Smurf, yeah. and this little figure is already more inspired than the than the smurfing movie <laughs> so there you're listening to the east screen west screen podcast visit kongcast.com for more Comments. Let us get into some comments. We got a couple comments from our last show. Uh, one from Kevin Lundrum, who wrote in last time. He wrote back saying, Hi guys, thanks for trying to answer my question about Bay Logan. Sorry if it seemed like I was jumping to defend his honor. Just wondered what your opinions were. I really enjoy your show and look forward to each episode. After listening to so many, it's nice to feel you're accessible to your audience. Keep up the great work. Well, Kevin, we really appreciate the feedback. And of course, you're welcome to ask any questions. Um, I didn't get the impression that you were jumping to, de- to defend his honor. I get, I understood the fact that you, um, you know, said that he was seemed influential. And I, th- as I said last week, I think he is. Um, and you know, that's, that's basically that, but we do appreciate your feedback and we're happy you're enjoying the episodes and well, we hope to hear more from you. Yes. And just don't ask about people we don't really know. again, <laughs> Cause then, you know, we can, yeah. the thing is, um, is that, you know, we are in a public forum, and yeah. uh, and I have to be honest. I mean, we could give our opinions, but what are those worth? Not much. Exactly. I mean, we we, we do enough of that with film, so. Yes, so we we try not to piss. Uh, if you want to ask, you know, how much, how irritating Ross is in person, we can ask about yeah. that. I can tell about but that. if you but, ever do come but, to Hong Kong, let us take you out to coffee and introduce you to some people who will be more than happy to spill and gossip and do all that good stuff. Oh, you can. actually it won't even be coffee. It better be something that lasts longer. So we won't <laughs> like like right. a like a like a hookah or something. <laughs> Take your hours. I promise. All right, uh, Gary wrote in. He said, "Speaking of William Shatner, he's going to be appearing at the upcoming Fan Expo convention in Toronto at the end of this month, and he'll be screening his documentary, The Captains. I wish I could be there to watch it, but I cannot." Um, he says, I'll be going, but I'm not sure if I'll attend William Shatner's thing is admissions for those tend to be insanely expensive. Yeah. If it's pricey, uh, I don't really want to pay for it if they're streaming it for free. Um, but I do want to see it at some point. Don't think it's coming to Hong Kong though. Um, he also mentions he's going to be on the, uh, he's going to be an extra on Total Recall, the, the remake. So cool for that. Uh, hope you have a good experience. Uh, I had a couple stints as an extra. Uh, basically, a long day of standing around waiting for the setups. Hot. Got some free food. 
uh, that was about it. You got free food? <laughs> free food, and <laughs> I, was... I think we got like a hundred bucks for the day. I was I was an extra um, on uh, Kenneth B's Girls, the the film about the 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 uh, compensated dating, but yeah. I didn't end up in the film. So yeah, this, this, <laughs> same for me. The, the the shot that I was in cut. So you were uh, you were in this in the scene the compensated dating the the sex scene, right? Yeah, I missed that. No, 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 no. <laughs> not in Girls, the, the other film. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, but he does ask the question. He says, "Why do movies re- release theatrically on Thursdays in Hong Kong? Why not Friday?" The thing is, why Friday? Or why Thursday? Yeah. No one knows. It's just the way that things work. In Japan, it's Saturday. Uh, China used to be Friday or Saturday, but now they don't have a set date because they're starting to move, open movies on Mondays. Okay. Uh, Hong Kong, just the way things... Friday's not a big movie day um, for, for people, especially if it's the end of a TVB drama. <laughs> that is that is true, actually. I didn't, so. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, the way that TV... I guess TV works is that it's on a daily basis, so... This could be yeah. one of those. I, I doubt. I, I. I'm just guessing. I don't. I don't know if that's really. And I guess reason, a three but... day, a three day gross is better than a two and a half day yeah. gross. Um, I don't know. But yeah, Thursday, Thursday, just the way it's always been, and I think it's going to be. You you get exceptions sometimes, public holidays, things yeah. like that. But we get sneak, yeah. we get sneak previews sometimes on the weekends, and sometimes a film will open like on midnight or on Wednesday for a really big movie. Um, I think part of it has to do, though, with um, especially for day and date releases, getting the jump on um, on uh, bootlegs, right? Uh, yeah, actually, the way that yeah, the way the time way is faster than I guess so. But no, I don't think day and date releases might because then how do how how come local movies are affected? That's the thing. It's um, I don't know how far the practice goes back to. Um, yeah, but, that's true. Yeah, it's just the way. That's the way that it's. I'm sure awful. somebody out there knows more than we do. Yeah, so please so write in get, and yeah. tell us. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Uh, David writes in. David Harris from the UK. He says, "Hi, David. I want to watch Wuxia even more now. I'm so glad you digged the review we uh, had last week. I want to watch it again. I just need to find the time." Um, he says, uh, I dig Peter Chan's work generally, but I think his best work has intimate storytelling, uh, which of course can mean just about anything. And then he comments, it will wash away wash away the bad taste of Legend of the Fist, huh? That's a bold claim. Yes, it is, <laughs> but I stand by it. And and I and I agree. Um actually I do want to bring up a correction from last week. Uh just friend of the show, Tim Young's called me out on it. I said that I wanted Peter Chang to do more to do more genre work, and I'm wrong. What I meant was that I want Peter Chang to do more because his last couple of films were kind of genre breaking. They were kind of just typical blockbusters, you know, Warlords and uh, um, perhaps Love or even Bodyguards and Assassin. They're just kind of big movies, and I want him to do more films that are clearly more within genre borders, like a romantic comedy or like something like Wuxia, which is so clear has such clear genre borders uh but i think david put it best that i want him to do more intimate storytelling and sometimes uh that could mean local hong kong films but he's not willing to go back on that so i would just have to settle for the next best thing and that's uh intimate stories and i agree with david yeah yeah i'd like them to get back to doing something a little bit more closer in line with the golden chicken something Mm. that's a bit more self-referential to hong kong Mm. um but I don't know. I know that that doesn't sell well internationally. Yeah. So 
Yeah, that's the thing. I asked him this question when the Warlords uh, came out. He did a seminar at my school, and of course, I jumped up and I said, "Why don't you make any more Hong Kong films?" <laughs> that got that really kind of um, outraged, indignant question. Like, why don't you do them anymore? Uh, and I was referring to you know, stuff like Golden Chicken, or even who's the who's the woman who's the man, or he's the woman, she's the man. And he just says there is no money anymore because he lost he lost money on Golden Chicken, uh, even though it was a su- uh, success. Uh, it made 19 million here, which is a surprise hit. And even on that one, he lost money. So, being a businessman, it just doesn't make any financial sense to him to make Hong Kong movies for Hong Kong audiences anymore. And I think that's really sad, I guess, being here. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for comments. And that's it for our show. What do you know? Woo! Coming to a close. Um, so, yeah, you can uh, keep, uh, keep in touch with us. Of course, you can follow us now on Stitcher. Uh, you can listen to us on your iPhone uh, or your Android phone or your BlackBerry or other web OS devices or even your iPad if it's not in the shop like mine is. Um, Stitcher- I have mine. Smurf you. Oh, Smurf this show. So St- Stitcher is smart radio for your phone <clears throat> or your device in general. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitch your smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for running our little program. Um, Also, thanks to everybody for listening, everybody in the chat room. We love having you guys here, and we love the feedback that you give us every week. And, of course, a big thanks to Kevin Ma for putting up with me for yet another episode. No, sir. Thank you. Thank you for letting me come up here and and rant every week like this. So you can find... Great, man. Smurfity, smurfity, smurf. Smurfity. Find us on our Smurfing website over at <laughs> www.concast.com or find us on iTunes and uh, leave us some comments over there. Leave us a five-star review if you like the show or any star review if you don't. If you, if you want to see something different, let us know. Um, or send us an email at eastscreen at gmail.com. You can send us questions, comments, or even a short uh, MP3 audio file, and we, might, we can play that on the show here. Uh, you can follow us along on Twitter at uh, follow the show at Kong, twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow Mr. Ma himself in his daily blogs and musings about cinema, life, the universe, and whatnot, and Smurf, Smurfology, and everything <laughs> else. Um, he is twitter.com slash the golden rock. Our next show, episode 79. Well, we're fast approaching that 100 number. What are we going to see next time, Kevin? What, what are we talking about? The, the Fortune Buddies. Yes. Uh, TVB classic Shaw Brothers film. Hong Kong yeah. cinema uh, with Wong Cho Lam and, uh, and the other guys who are very famous on TVB right now. <laughs> when you said classic Hong Kong cinema, you brought in Wong Cho Lam and I just knew, <laughs> oh, God, oh, he's being sarcastic. <laughs> um, also, we're going to be looking at Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which I'm really excited to see. I'm a huge Planet of the Apes fan. Um, very interested to see what they do on sort of this new reboot, this retake, and the new animated feature, even though it's been out for a while, it's only just now coming out this week, Cars 2. Um, and maybe, Kevin, you'll have some more movies from the film festival to talk about. Yes, I'll be talking about the film festival and uh, other things. Hopefully, we won't have to bring up my ex-girlfriend anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. Smurf that. Smurfs. Smurf. Uh, all that and much more on our next show right here, episode 79. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody.
screen.